You're listening to the Gates Church Podcast. For more information or to support this ministry, please visit thegates.org. I want to start with an important question for you, um, because I need to weed out the enemy. Uh, How many people here are morning people? How many people here are morning people? Don't be afraid. Put up your hand. Put up your hand. No no harm will come to you. But let, let me ask you this, morning people. Do you ever wonder why some people aren't as happy as you at 7 a.m.? Do you ever wonder why some of your co-workers, or maybe your spouse, or uh, your teenage child gets uh, snarky or annoyed at you when uh, all you're trying to do is just simply cheer them up with a, with a joyful good morning or what a pleasant day it is or howdy ho neighbor, right? Well, I can answer that for you because I'm one of those people who aren't that happy at 7 a.m. in the morning. I'm not a morning person. I'm a night owl, as some would call it. I like to stay up late. I actually get a lot accomplished in the evening. And therefore, I don't like to wake up early at all, which, which means your cheery regard for the morning dew is like siding with my mortal enemy. Uh, until I've had my coffee, your, your happy morning vibes and your, your uplifting, good morning, um, though filled with good intentions, is to my ears like, like, like salt to the wound, more like salt to the wound than a blessing. And basically what I'm saying is your, your attempts at friendliness at 7 a.m. in the morning are just reminders for me that I'm not in bed. How many night owls here can, can relate to that? Yes. Yes. Thank you. Because it's biblical. Proverbs 27:14 says this. Whoever blesses his neighbor with a loud voice rising early in the morning will be counted as cursing. Amen. See, morning people, your good morning blessings are like a curse. Please use wisdom. It's in the Bible. (laughs) Anyways, had to get that off my chest. Now, you might be wondering why I'm bringing this up. Like, this, this, this silly, minuscule, seemingly irrelevant social interaction about how we can sometimes accidentally annoy each other, even when we have good intentions. Well, I'm bringing it up because, believe it or not, God cares about moments like these. God cares about moments like these. And, and as, we, as we start our new sermon series this morning through the book of Proverbs, we'll discover this over and over that God genuinely wants us to flourish in our lives. He wants us to have right understanding, and, and he wants us to make good decisions and choices and have healthy relationships. You know, you know in, in regards to choices, especially in the mundane ones, right? Like the, the choices we think don't even matter. God cares about those too, so that we can live well and have blessed lives. He cares so much, in fact, that he wants us to have the very means to live well, and the very means which he's actually woven into the fabric of creation and made even more accessible to us through a relationship with Jesus Christ is what we call wisdom. Wisdom. The book of Proverbs as a whole is a reminder for us that wisdom 
is readily available for us to draw on and apply in, in every moment, situation, emotion, decision, and circumstance in our lives. So this morning, as, as we start our summer series, which we've titled Wisdom Lit, we'll be taking some time to learn about and go through a, a basic overview of the book of Proverbs. We'll discuss who wrote it, what its purpose is, how to read it, and of course, how to get wisdom and apply it to our lives. That's what we'll be going through this morning. And on that end, we'll be inviting you as well to join us this summer in reading one chapter of Proverbs each day during the work week. And we'll be starting that not this Monday, but next Monday. So we'll just read one chapter of Proverbs together as a church community during the work week, Monday to Friday. And uh, that'll go through most of the summer. So we'll invite you to be doing that next week. So be ready for that. Be excited about that. Um, Anyways, as I said this morning, we're going to do an overview of Proverbs. So I'll be discussing and moving through many concepts and ideas, which obviously I won't have time to expand on fully on all of them this morning, but but rather we'll find that that, um, these concepts will actually be developed further as we continue our sermon series over the next couple of months. So on that end, please turn with me now to Proverbs 1. 1 to 7, and um, we'll discuss the purpose of Proverbs. So Proverbs 1, 1 to 7. It says, The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. The word of the Lord. All right, so another question for you guys. How many people here have ever done something stupid? How many people have ever done something stupid? A couple of you don't have your hands up, so come on. We're, we're all in this together. Everyone should have their hand up. Um, mine is really high because I've done a lot of stupid things. Right? Like, how, how many people here have said something you shouldn't have? You know, you don't have to keep your hands up. This is rhetorical. Or maybe ate something you shouldn't have, right? Or, or didn't listen to your parents or procrastinated and didn't finish your homework or your work project on time or messed up a relationship because of lust or selfishness or putting your foot in your mouth or, you know, or handled your finances poorly or lost your patience and, and snapped at, at your sibling or your child or made a rash decision without thinking first, and you, and you knew it was wrong, but in the heat of the moment, you did it anyway, and now you're paying it for it. Right? The, the, the stupid list goes on and on. Everyone probably put their hand up for most of those things. Right? The, the stupid list goes on and on and on, and it's a list that reminds us, or, or informs us, rather, that, that we're imperfect, that we're broken, that we're often foolish. It's a list of follies that shows us 
our desperate need for direction and wisdom so that we can avoid these follies and, and properly navigate through our, our lives. Well, the good news is from Proverbs 120, when it says, Wisdom cries aloud in the street. In the markets, she raises her voice. In other words, wisdom is available. It's not only available, but it's, it's calling out to us it wants us to know her. It's, it's not aloof or hidden somewhere in the depths of some secret knowledge. Wisdom wants us to know her. This is good news for us fools, right? <laughs> and is the primary purpose of the book of Proverbs, as it says in verse 2, to know wisdom. So Proverbs is all about to know wisdom and instruction to understand words of insight. And why do we need to know wisdom? Again, so that, as it says after that, so that we can have wise dealings. We can have discernment we, so that we can make good choices when it comes to matters of life. Whether it's in relationships, whether it's in matters of morality and righteousness, whether it's in our finances or in matters of justice or, or our faith or when we're suffering or, or in our work ethic and our business dealings and our plans and goals and our daily choices and, of course, and our continued learning, God wants us to be wise in all of these things. Uh, kind of a, a side note here, but as, as Pastor Blair mentioned at the beginning of the service, today is Ascension Sunday. On this day, we, we remember and we ponder the moment in Acts when Jesus commanded his disciples to go make disciples of all nations and then subsequently ascended into heaven and they're staring at the clouds and, and wondering what, what's going on. But, you know, that was a significant moment. And I think as Christians, we don't give that moment enough credit there should there should be a holiday about about the ascension day because it's probably one of the most important moments in history to be honest because it was at that moment when when jesus ascended to the throne to sit at god's right hand where he now judges the living and the dead and has authority in heaven and earth right it was that moment which initiated the release of the holy spirit to to come dwell in all those who believe in his name because of that moment we proclaim that Jesus reigns. Because of that moment, we proclaim that he is Lord and King, that he's alive and that he's coming again. And in the meantime, he's filled and empowered his disciples and his church, us, to live for him as his ambassadors and to spread his love and, and his gospel, the good news of salvation, to, to all the world until he comes again to make all things new. This, this is exciting stuff, right? It's, it's a glorious reality and calling that we've been given as the church. But even in saying that, and I'm waving my hands around like this, because it sounds so big picture, doesn't it? It sounds, it sounds so huge. A lot of our theology sounds really big picture, right? So it's natural to ask, what about the everyday facts of life? What I mean is, is, is that it's good and true that we can read through, through Jesus' teachings and the letters of the apostles and, and the whole Bible and get a grasp on, on what we're called and commanded to do as believers. But what about those moments in our lives where the Bible doesn't give us specific direction? Like, how much screen time should I have each day on my phone? There's no verse in the Bible about that, right? Should I eat Cheerios or, or Lucky Charms for breakfast? How, how should I use or view or invest my money? What, what do I do about my rebellious daughter? Should I marry? And if so, who should I marry? What job should I take? Who should I vote for? Right? There's a lot of 
questions in life that we have where the Bible doesn't give us specific answers. So in other words, while the Bible gives us instruction on righteous living and a glorious calling, we also know that life is complicated and that the Bible doesn't and can't give us specific direction or a manual for for every single moment of our lives. Because, first of all, every situation is different. Every circumstance comes with different nuances and complications. No two scenarios or choices or people are the same. Not everything is, is black and white, right? So, so, so how, do we, how do we filter and navigate through this, this messy and complicated life? Through situations and choices that have no manuals or easy answers. With wisdom. The answer is with wisdom. Wisdom fills in the blanks. Pastor and theologian Raymond Ortland Jr. writes, God cares about our understanding of the massive truths of our existence. But he also cares about the nuances that make a difference in our relationships and experiences every day. Even if we do seek holiness, even if we are inspired by the visions of the prophets, we can still make a mess of our lives, our families, our churches, our workplaces, our communities, if we are unwise. We need God's help moment by moment down at the level where there are no hard and fast rules to go by. Through the book of Proverbs, God coaches us in the wisdom we need throughout the long and complicated path of our everyday lives. So the book of Proverbs is a call for wisdom in our everyday lives. On that end, this is why the book of Proverbs starts with seven chapters, which urge the reader to pursue wisdom to trust in it, to grow in it, and of course, to avoid the opposite of wisdom, which is foolishness, because foolishness only leads us to ruin. And these, these seven chapters, along with the, most of the book of Proverbs, were written by King Solomon, son of King David, who's the king of Israel. And he, and he wrote this initially to instruct his own son to be wise, and later historically it became used to instruct youth and anyone who wanted to grow in wisdom. Though I should point out that Proverbs also has a couple other authors and contributors as well, male and female. But the main author here was definitely King Solomon, who also started the wisdom tradition in Jewish culture when he asked God, as recorded in 1 Kings 3, to give him wisdom above everything else. And God was impressed by that, and he granted his prayer, making Solomon the wisest man in the ancient world. So wise, in fact, as as Jesus even points out, that the Queen of Sheba even journeyed afar to garner his wisdom and advice. He he had wisdom like no other. So we're we're reading and, and learning about wisdom from the wisest person in the ancient world who in turn gained his wisdom directly from God. How cool is that? That's that's pretty awesome. But before we, we go any further, I want to define wisdom. Um because I think, I think sometimes when we think of wisdom, we tend to just think of really smart people or, or deep thinkers or, or people who have a, a lot of knowledge, get good grades in school or something, right? But smart people still have the capacity to mess up their lives and relationships, don't they? So while wisdom is, is definitely sharpened by knowledge and information, it's deeper than those things. Timothy Keller writes, wisdom is not only for deep thinkers. It is how you get through daily life. 
It helps you know what to do when your child comes home from school with a black eye or when you suddenly come into unexpected money or when you lose your job. So the Hebrew word for wisdom, chokmah, has a couple of different spellings, but it's chokmah. And, and what, it, what it implies is that it's more of an active or applied knowledge. Okay, so, so if knowledge is information, then wisdom is the understanding and application of that knowledge. Wisdom is the understanding and application of that knowledge. For example, I have knowledge that caffeine keeps me awake. I know that, right? But that knowledge is only discerned and applied when I make the choice to not drink coffee after 5 p.m. so that I can get to sleep on time. That's, that's wisdom. That's using that knowledge, and I don't use that wisdom because I'm a night owl. Um, maybe I should. See, I'm learning too. Basically, um, wisdom, then, you know, is an applied knowledge or even a skill that we can make, that we make use of, that we use, right? But King Solomon also ties wisdom in as, as a type of insight as well. Insight meaning having an awareness or discernment of the underlying essence of a truth. In a nutshell, then, being wise isn't about having a big brain. It's having the capacity to both live well and discern rightly. And furthermore, we need to know that living well and discerning rightly isn't just about having or maintaining a happy life. The word hokmah also carries with it a moral depth of meaning as well. Proverbs often refers to the wise as seeking godly justice and righteousness, even if it threatens a happy life. So it's about doing what's godly and what's right in every circumstance. On the flip side of this is what Proverbs calls foolishness or folly, which I mentioned earlier. And, and, and that means that when we refuse instruction and wisdom, that we're not only just, just being dumb or prideful or whatever and paying the consequences for it, what that, what that actually means, like on a foundation, at the root level, is that we're actually being sinful. And we're actually acting in rebellion against God. So, as we'll find throughout Proverbs, especially in the first third of the book, to be wise is a call to be godly and righteous and diligent in every facet of our lives. And the last two-thirds of the book, then, Continue this theme of seeking wisdom and contain what we've come to call Proverbs. You know, one, one or two verse sayings, uh, hence the title of the book, Proverbs. Uh, I, Timothy Keller again describes a proverb like this. A proverb, Hebrew masal, is a poetic, terse, vivid, thought-provoking saying that conveys a world of truth. So if you've ever read through the Proverbs or even just read some of the Proverbs, you'll find, first of all, that they usually rely on descriptive and vivid images or metaphors to convey a point or a principle that we can learn from. Secondly, though, you'll also find that Proverbs don't all fall in the same literary categories and therefore each need to be interpreted on their own terms. They can't all be interpreted in the same way. Each one needs to be interpreted and read on their own terms. And, and on, the, on that, I'm just going to go through you know, the, the structures of some of them for you. Uh, so, first of all, some of them are poetic proverbs, and, and they rely heavily on grammatical structures such as parallelism 
which is usually like a, a two-line poem where the second line is both complemented and interpreted by the first half. So, for example, Proverbs 13, verse 6. Every prudent man acts with knowledge, but a fool flaunts his folly. What, what, what does it mean for a fool to flaunt his folly? What, what's going on there? So, as we read this proverb, we can assume, based on the information from the first line, that flaunting your folly is the opposite of acting in knowledge. So, it's being stupid, right? So, again, many proverbs like this one convey wisdom through different types of poetry and wordplay. On the flip side of that, some proverbs aren't really that poetic. They usually have certain literary forms, but they're mostly intended to be concise and clear statements about how we should live. So, for example, Proverbs 22, 22 to 23 says, Do not exploit the poor because they are poor, and do not crush the needy in court, for the Lord will take up their case and will exact life for life. So this is completely straightforward, right? You don't have to like work through the wordplay or anything to figure out what it means. No, it, there's no hidden meanings, right? It's just straight-up truth and instruction on being wise and just. Don't exploit the poor, right? Don't crush the needy in court. Okay, right? So if you're, you're in a you know, situation where you're thinking about exploiting the poor, you can open up Proverbs 22:22, and it says don't exploit the poor. Okay, the wisest choice is don't exploit the poor. Got it, right? It's pretty simple. Um, so a lot of the Proverbs are like that. They're not complicated. And, and similar to this, we'll find that some Proverbs are just basic observations about life. They'll just describe life, right? So Proverbs like these are basically meant to teach us wisdom by observation, kind of like in the same way that we might learn a life lesson from someone else's mistake or someone else's success, right? So for example, Proverbs 14.4 says, where there are no oxen, the manger is clean, but abundant crops come by the strength of the ox. So this proverb is basically just stating an observation about life, right? You need an ox to have a crop. Uh, but in stating the obvious, we can glean wisdom from it, right? So it's reminding us that to be successful, we need to be willing to, to get messy and do the work and not be lazy. Because if we don't, yes, we'll, we'll have a clean major and we won't have anything to do. But it also means we'll have no food and we'll die, right? So, that's, so, so again, it's a basic observation about life that carries a depth of wisdom that we can learn from and hopefully apply in our lives. So to sum it up so far, some of the Proverbs are, are poetic. Some are clear statements on what we should do. Some are basic and sometimes, as we'll find, humorous observations about life. But, but there's more. So some Proverbs are also written in the form of riddles. In the form of riddles. I don't know how many people here like riddles. What is, what is black and red, white and red all over? That's my favorite one. It's the only one I know. I don't like riddles. For example, um, Proverbs 30, 15 to 16 says this. The leech has two daughters. Give and give. Three things are never satisfied. Four never say enough. Sheol, the barren womb. The land never satisfied with water. And the fire that never says enough. Don't ask me what that means. Okay? <laughs> it's a riddle. I'm not good at riddles. Uh, you may have also noticed the numerical structure in that, in that proverb as well, which is another form of poetry that shows up in Proverbs with the, with the two, the three, the four. Most of them just use three and four for some reason. Um, but that's another form of poetry, that numerical structure. Anyways, the reason some of them are written in riddles is actually similar to the reason that Jesus spoke in parables 
And it's also a reminder for us about how we're supposed to approach all the Proverbs as a whole. It's that they're meant to be revisited repeatedly. Their meanings and interpretations, along with their applications for life, are meant to be intellectually and morally wrestled with over and over and again and again. We're not supposed to grasp them immediately. Because it's, it's not about learning basic knowledge or, or just memorizing a proverb and moving on, right? It's, it's, this is teaching us to be wise. And the, and the more we dig in, the more wisdom we find in them, as I'll, I'll talk about a little later. But, the, and the, but first of all, this brings me to one of, another of one of the most important aspects about how we're supposed to read the Proverbs. In, in our culture, we tend to, our North American evangelical culture, we tend to open up the Bible and just read it literally, and we don't wrestle with it or anything. We just say, oh, it says this. That must be the truth. Let's move on. Right? But we need to remember that the Proverbs aren't meant to be literal promises or guarantees but rather they're usually only meant to present to us the the best case scenarios the the wisest choice in a scenario as uh, larry uh writes proverbs contains maxims for living that function as principles and not ironclad promises exceptions prove the rule that God has outlined for us here the best possible way to achieve an abundant and fulfilling life. So the Proverbs, especially in tandem with the other wisdom books in the Bible, like Ecclesiastes and Job, are fully aware and cognitive. Right? They're fully aware that we live in a broken, messy, complicated, and often unpredictable world. So when a proverb like Proverbs 22, verse 6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. That isn't meant to be an ironclad promise. It's meant to be the best case scenario. It's, it's definitely, when you read that, you think, oh yeah, that's definitely the wisest, most moral, uh, most righteous choice of action for, as a parent to ensure the best possible future for their child. But at the same time, nothing is guaranteed. Because as Proverbs also lays out again and again for us, folly and temptation are calling out to us too, which can turn our course rapidly. And in the same way, we know that our lives are often affected by circumstances and people and events outside of our control as well. So we need to remember that the Proverbs aren't promises, they're not law, they're not guarantees, but they present to us the wisest and most moral choice of action. They, they teach us to live in the best way possible that God's called us to live. Another example for this is when Proverbs tells us that the righteous will live a long life. It says the righteous will live a long life, which in most cases is true. If you're living rightly and, and, and you know, doing the right things and eating healthy and doing all that kind of stuff, you know, you'll probably live a long life. But of course, there's wars, you know, or maybe, you know, a, a terrorist shows up or a, a murderer or a sickness or, or natural disasters are just tripping over the curb into the street. Could end that proverb pretty quickly, right? So again, Proverbs isn't ignorant to the unpredictability of life. And neither should we be as we read and apply them. 
Okay, so that's, that's changing our expectations with the Proverbs. They're not promises. They're wisdom. Um, in fact, on that same end, as, as we read through Proverbs, it's also not uncom- uncommon to find two sayings that even sound like they're contradicting one another. They're both based on the same theme, and they both say something completely opposite of one another, which can make them hard to apply and understand as well. Um, a popular one is Proverbs 26, where two seemingly contradictory Proverbs appear back to back. Proverbs 26, 4 to 5 says, Don't answer a fool according to his foolishness, or you'll be like him yourself. That's good advice. But then the next line says, Answer a fool according to his foolishness, or he'll become wise in his own eyes. So, which is it? Answer a fool according to his foolishness, or don't answer a fool according to his foolishness. You know, people in our culture would be quick to foolishly yell, Contradiction! The Bible isn't divine! Right? That's People like to yell, Contradiction! Without even actually reading or thinking about it. But no, maybe the point instead is that not every proverb applies to every situation. Most notably because it would certainly be odd for the writer to contradict himself in the same breath. So no, this is obviously on purpose. So let let me try to flesh it out. For example, say you're scrolling through Facebook and you read someone's uh, political, someone wrote a political post on your friends, and, and you notice there's a, there's a hot debate in the message board with people already resorting to snarky comments, name-calling, and swearing. Obviously, no one's listening to one another. No one's open to debating rationally. So in that, in that circumstance, would it be wise to join in with their foolishness? Anyone? No! Some wise people here. Peter's wise. Um, no, you'd end up frustrated, you'd end up annoyed, you'd end up insulted, and you'd end up becoming like them yourself. In this case, you'd be applying the wisdom of verse 4. Don't join them in their foolishness. But, say you have a teenage child who's getting into some sketchy things and becoming rebellious and refusing to listen to instruction. Should you then approach them in their foolishness? Yes, absolutely, lest they think they're wise and know everything, right? And now you've just applied verse 5, right? Hopefully you guys are catching on. So again, as we read the Proverbs, we need to remember that they're not ironclad promises, and at the same time, they don't always apply to every situation. Ironically, it actually takes wisdom to learn where and when and how each proverb is useful and applicable. The biggest point here, though, is that the Proverbs exist to not only guide us in our lives, but they they exist to show us that wisdom is found and can be applied in every facet and nuance of our lives. They exist to teach us to seek and apply wisdom. The Proverbs are showing us, see how wisdom is, is in all these circumstances? Wisdom is in all of your circumstances as well. It's available. It's there. So the goal, then, is to both grow in wisdom... But as we grow in wisdom, also to grow in our understanding of the Proverbs and how to apply them. As it says in Proverbs 1, 5 to 6, Let the wise hear an increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. 
So as we, as we grow in wisdom, as we increase in learning, we'll, we'll obtain guidance in life and we'll be humble enough to receive that guidance because wisdom is also humility, right? But we'll also then increase in our understanding and application of the Proverbs as well. And, and that's an ongoing process. As Ray Ortland again writes, this book is not a quick fix. This book is not a quick fix. We, again, like I said earlier, we can't just memorize the Proverbs and then move on. We're never done growing, and life always presents new circumstances and choices, and therefore we'll never be done wrestling with and learning from the wisdom of the Proverbs. But now we have to take a step back and ask ourselves, you know, if we need Proverbs is teaching us wisdom, but we need wisdom to read Proverbs, so where does wisdom come from? As I, as I said at the beginning, you know, we, we often prove how foolish we can be in our lives. Right? So it's not like we're just going like, to change all of a sudden and become wise. So how do we get wisdom? How do, how do we become wise? Well, I'll tell you, on my cup right here, it says, in case of emergency, ask Greg. My wife bought this cup for me. And then, and then below that, it says, hashtag source of all wisdom. So this is where you get. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Not true at all. I appreciate that incredibly sarcastic cup that my wife bought me. (laughs) Yeah. Anyways, King Solomon knows from experience where to get wisdom, and he gives us the answer in verse 7. He says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. It begins with the fear of the Lord, which means having an attitude of, of awe and wonder and respect for God. Wisdom and knowledge begins with reverently and, and humbly submitting to God's authority, his purposes, his truth, and his design as the creator of the universe, precisely because he is the source of all wisdom. Proverbs 3.19 tells us that the Lord by wisdom founded the earth. The Lord by wisdom founded the earth. By, by understanding, he established the heavens. Therefore, the reason wisdom is, is available and, and accessible and applicable in every facet and nuance of our lives is be, precisely because it was the Lord by wisdom who brought it all into existence. Wisdom is, is woven into the very fabric of creation. On a side note then, the existence of wisdom, and every time we use it, is itself an an apologetic for the existence of God. But the actual point here is that to gain or discern wisdom and understanding in righteous and daily living, it has to start from the source. God needs to change us. It has to start through humbling ourselves before the Lord. This is also why wisdom is seen as righteousness. Because to live with wisdom is to live within the order that God originally created us to live before sin came into the picture. Folly or foolishness, on the other hand, is a sinful refusal to live in accordance with God's plan and order. So to gain wisdom, it starts with having a relationship with the living God, the source And James 1 verse 5 tells us, if any of you lacks wisdom, that's all of us, 
right? If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. So we can humbly ask God for wisdom, and he'll give it to us generously because he is the source. And, and he has given it to us. In the person and work of Jesus Christ who came to us and personified wisdom in the flesh. About Jesus, the Messiah, Isaiah 11, 2-3 states, The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him. And this is a spirit of wisdom and understanding, a spirit of counsel and strength, a spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. His delight will be in the fear of the Lord. This is about Jesus. So Jesus not only demonstrated for us the, the wisdom and fear of the Lord, he, he not only guides us in it, but he's actually wisdom personified. As Daniel and Jonathan Aiken write, when Jesus of Nazareth bursts onto the scene, he grows in wisdom and stature and favor with God and people. He's called greater than Solomon, and he's called the wisdom of God for us. In him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. One of the most amazing things we'll find as we go through Proverbs is that wisdom isn't just some abstract concept some sort of force floating around in the world, right? But at its foundation, wisdom is a person we can have a relationship with, a person who loves us and who we can love in return, a person who cares about us and our well-being so much that he defied the foolish, those who were wise in their own eyes, by taking our place on the cross to pay for our folly and sin. A person who invites us to come boldly into the presence of God with fear and awe. A person who speaks to us through his word and guides us in the power of his spirit. That spirit of of wisdom and understanding, of counsel and strength. The spirit of the knowledge, of the fear of the Lord. Jesus invites us to delight in the fear of the Lord where knowledge and wisdom begin. As, As Daniel and Jonathan Aiken again write, Proverbs will teach us that wisdom isn't an Israelite dear Abby. It's, It's not a bunch of tips you learn to live out. Wisdom is a person. Jesus of Nazareth. In Jesus, we find all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And what we'll discover as we go through this this series is that Proverbs reveals to us its deepest and fullest, fullest meaning when it's read in light of the person and work of Jesus Christ. And furthermore, as we, as we place our faith and grow in our relationship with him, he'll continue to produce in us the wisdom he lived out, that he personified, that wisdom of the Lord, the wisdom of Proverbs. As Raymond Ortland Jr. again writes, wisdom is the grace of Christ beautifying our daily lives. Wisdom is the grace of Christ beautifying our daily lives. So let's take some time now to look to Jesus, the word, the wisdom of God become flesh as we Now receive communion together. And before we do that, I'm going to pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for each and every person in this room this morning. I thank you that you you have brought them here. I thank you that in whatever place they're in, if they're in the middle of some folly or if they're growing in wisdom, whatever whatever place they're in in their life, Lord God, that you would would speak to them, that your Holy Spirit would, would... dwell with them and guide them and draw them into your presence, Lord. 
that we would all be able to humbly submit to you this morning in the, in the fear of the Lord, that we would delight in the fear of the Lord and know that, that you are the source of wisdom and that you, you want us, you desire to have, you desire for us to have a, a full life, a rich life, an abundant life. Lord God, so I pray that as we go through this series in Proverbs, that you would teach us to be wise, that you would teach us to make good decisions and righteous decisions according to your will, according to your good purposes, according to your glory and love. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.